What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the show. Joining us today is Mackenzie Larson and Marissa Polvito. Mackenzie is a high school senior living in Southern California and the subject of the first film in a four-part series, Meaning of Madness, short film about skyrocketing rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide in young adults. In the roughly 10-minute film, named for Mackenzie, follows her struggle to cope with the pressures of test scores and grades in her high-performing school. Now an advocate for mental health, Mackenzie first started dealing with depression after the death of a close friend. She began spiraling even deeper into despair after a student in her school committed suicide, which as she confesses in the film, she thought about at one point for herself. Uh, With a passion for science, Mackenzie launched and leads wellness day events at her high school. She hopes to pursue a career in medicine and was excited to participate in a two-week medical training program that has exposed her to various medical specialties. Inspired by the work and lessons of Sir Ken Robinson and Viktor Frankl, McKinsey wants to help other people find their purpose and meaning. And also joining us today is Marissa Polvino, a prolific producer and entrepreneur responsible for identifying and shaping projects that align with the straight-up impact ethos. In 2008, with partner Kate Cohen, Marissa founded Straight Up Films, a fully integrated multimedia production company that has worked alongside top Hollywood talent, including Natalie Portman, Rosario Dawson, Jesse Eisenberg, Gina Rodriguez, and Johnny Depp. Marissa is perpetually inspired by her two children and encourages them to follow their passions and pay attention to what matters most in life and to work hard and always be nice to people. Mackenzie and Marissa, welcome both to the show. Thanks so much for having us. My, yeah, thank you. It's so nice to meet you. My pleasure. It's very nice to meet both of you as well. And I want to share with both of you, and especially Mackenzie, that I grew up um, on Long Island in New York. I went to a very competitive high school, a uh, lot of pressure to go Ivy League. Um, and then when I went to college and law school, a lot of pressure to get the top job, to make partner at the law firm. And it felt like a never-ending pressure cycle so when I saw the trailer, the documentary, so much spoke to me and the clients that I coach on this. But Mackenzie, I'd love to start with you and just hear a little bit more about the backdrop and the story and how this documentary and this whole journey came to be for you. Yeah, so for me, this project really jump-started a lot of research for me as an advocate. Before, I, you know, I would talk about my mental health, I would talk about mental wellness and stress management, but the more that I did my research, you know, I found, you know, there are 20 million kids attending high school or college, and of those 20 million kids, suicide is the second leading cause of death for this age group, so it's, it's really painful for me to realize that my peers and my, my classmates, some of them starting their lives want to take their lives, so when I was asked to share my story, I was really nervous, but my, my peers and my teachers would think, but I also realized that that is such a big part of the problem. Like there is such a 
heavy cloud of negative stigma surrounding mental health. And from a very young, from, you know, very, the beginning of my high school experience, I felt like it was part of my job to help relieve that stigma in any way that I can, you know, and just bringing awareness to all those people that are suffering in silence. So if my story of feeling the anxieties and depressions that are stemming from academics and those metrics that are really hard to attain sometimes, and I can resonate with some of like one person of those 20 million kids, then I will feel satisfied and that I've done my job as an advocate. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Marissa, how did you get involved in this project? What spoke to you about it? What got you excited about it and got you involved? Um, well, I, I have two kids myself, one of which is the same age as Mackenzie. And, you know, they're two totally different beings. One of them, um, Makani, he's, he's a senior in high school. He's a musician. He has never been an in-the-box thinker or learner. And very, very early on, like in kindergarten, he was diagnosed with ADHD, which is what is a very, very popular diagnosis in today's modern world and especially around education. And we are very strong-armed to medicate him and you know, to fit in this box of education. And it was something that we, you know, I, I personally wasn't for. Um, and I have a daughter who's totally different and she learns in her own way. And she's an athlete and she really likes school and she learns in, in that structure. And then looking at two different beings that are experiencing, you know, this almost suffocating institutionalized education system, we recognize like there's a lot of kids suffering. Um, we interviewed countless kids um, and young adults through the process before meeting Mackenzie, and each of them felt dehumanized. They had this schedule that was so rigorous and this need to accomplish not only the you know, academic component of it, um, of a 4.0 plus, 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 because now it's like a 4.8 that you have to get. The perfect SATs, all the extracurricular activities, all the, all the social impact work on the side to build this resume, to get into this college, to, to accrue us hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And when we asked them, why are you doing this? Nobody knew. You know, why? Because that's, you know, that's what we're told to do. That's what we're taught to do. That's what, that, that's what's culturally important and culturally acceptable. And what's, what's happening is it's creating a culture of young adults and teens who have massive levels of anxiety, depression, in some cases, suicide. It's the second, suicide is the second leading cause of death. It's underreported. It's, it's an epidemic and it's something that both Kate and I felt really strongly about lending our voices as filmmakers to follow these stories um, and finding authentic voices that could speak emotionally and articulately about what's really happening so that we could spark a conversation around it and make you know a shift in what we're doing to our kids, which is clearly not working for them. Um, and so that's really how we got involved. You know, we predominantly make feature films, but we really wanted to focus more on using these voices to tell compelling stories or, and create a social impact change. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Marissa. Um, Mackenzie, could you talk a little bit more about what it was like to be a student at your school and kind of how you dealt with some of the pressures and maybe how you would deal with them differently now, knowing the tools you have to kind of inspire students out there today that they don't feel like they're the only one 
So maybe share some of the things that you went through and then kind of maybe what kids can do differently today with, like Marissa said, this crazy environment where everyone's kind of pushed to follow one specific path to perfection. For sure. So I have had a really interesting academic progression. I started off homeschooled from first grade to sixth grade. So in this time, I was able to really be free and learn what I wanted to learn as an individual. I spent a lot of time, you know, I was really interested in Shakespeare, really. And it was really funny because I spent a lot of time, you know, studying and learning because it was something that was interesting and beautiful to me. Then, you know, as I got more and more introduced to public school in my high school, I had to very quickly learn how to manage my time while balancing, you know, sports, instruments, studies, grades, family, and somehow find a time to have a social life because those were all things that were interesting and beautiful to me. Um, so I realized that this adjustment was very normal. I mean, because that's what everyone else was doing. So this was a very personal, this wasn't something that was just personal to me. This was, this was something that everyone had to deal with. Um, but I had my first introduction to stress in my second semester, of my freshman year in my math class. It was, it's a really funny experience for me. It was, it was really life-changing too. kind of, kind of set me on this path and this different progression. You know, I, all of us were getting our test scores back from this one unit. And, you know, I was about, I knew, had, I had a feeling that I didn't do that well on this test. So I had my paper sitting in front of me kind of face down and I was, listening to my students and the classmates around me, they were just chatting and asking like, oh, what'd you get on your test? What'd you get? Oh my gosh, I got a 92. Oh, I got a 68. You know, it was, it was this constant comparison. And I was really afraid to turn over my paper and see what I got. But when I finally did, you know, as soon as I turned it over, someone just whipped her next to me and like asked me, what'd you get on your test? And it was, it was kind of, it was really embarrassing. You know, it was a very jarring experience. And this event kind of initiated an internal transference that put me on more of a performance-driven path and not a meaning-driven one like my previous education. So I started to notice that every single time we got a test back, the class would erupt in this conversation comparing scores and grades, GPAs, and how this would impact their college admissions, even if they were freshmen, sophomore, underclassmen. So based on the reactions I observed, I kind of became aware of this notion that I would be judged by my peers and teachers if I wasn't a top performer. So typical of high, a high performing high school, I was kind of now this player in a game of fierce competition. And then this would create this excessive amount of pressure that shifted my focus from truly learning to just like earning high scores and memorizing concepts. So because I was so interested in focused on securing my grade, I kind of lost interest in all those things that I found beautiful and all those things that were meaningful to me. And this kind of put me in a really sensitive place. So when all those adversities did hit me, like the death of my really close friend and seeing a suicide attempt and, you know, when things did start to get difficult, it put me in a very sensitive and very delicate position. Cause I didn't really have any, like, like a lifeboat or anything to hang on to, you know, cause those things that were meaningful weren't there at that point. So it took a lot of deep reflection and a lot of a lot of really an internal thinking to figure out something isn't right here. I'm not the same person as I was before. My spark is dim now. And I had to really dig deep in those moments and not give in to that pressure and not, not, not give in to those dark thoughts. And I, in that moment, in that, in that dark place, I found that serving others was something that I found meaningful. So that was my lifeboat. That is something that I held on to. So with that, I 
you know, be able to build back my spark and build back the things that I found meaningful and beautiful. And that's where I am today. So advice that I would give to other people, <laughs> this is a really, really long one to answer to the question. <laughs> because it's all good. <laughs> um, advice that I would give back, like give to maybe my younger self or to, you know, kids that are struggling with these things is that, you know, learning the mindset that you have when facing these challenges really defines how you come out on the other side. You know, when I was allowing myself to succumb to these pressures, succumb to these, you know, standards, uh, my mindset did more harm than good. And I needed to find an outlet where I could foster my own grit and resilience. And after I did that, I was able to face almost anything, you know, anything that came my way, I was, you know, I had a meaning, I had something that I could hold on to, and that brought me peace. So also like allowing yourself to be forgiving and allowing yourself for personal growth and room for development, that was essential for my progression as well. I had to realize that, you know, maybe I didn't do so well in this test, maybe the number wasn't great, but this is a perfect learning opportunity for me. I can, you know, see what I did wrong, see what I did right, forgive myself for what I did wrong, celebrate myself for what I did right, and become a more educated person in the process, not just learning concepts one after the other just to ace a test. Like that, that wasn't working for me. Um, and, you know, lastly, I really need to grow my compassion and empathy, not just for myself, but from for everybody else, you know? From facing like my own personal challenges, I learned that the sheer positive impact of like a simple smile or like a shoulder to lean on, you know, like those, those are huge, you know? So, my journey was much more solitary than it needed to be. So it was really important that I developed the skills to seek, but also provide assistant, assistance for others. <laughs> Sorry, that was really, really long. And that's why <laughs> Mackenzie is the subject of the first film because she's so articulate and um, was able to really tell her story in such an honest way that resonated with every every kid that we've shown this to has resonated with her story um, because she's not alone. And in hearing this, they recognize that they're not alone either and that we can remove this stigma around talking about like your mental health, mental wellness and and have have a sounding board out there amongst your peers, amongst your teachers, amongst your parents that we're here to listen and help like just be a sounding board and help them navigate what can be, you know, a very tricky life that we all experience. When, uh, when the suicide happened at your school, did people connect it to um, like the pressures and these types of things we're talking about? Did people lighten up? Was there any response in the school based on when that happened? Yeah, really quickly, I, I just want to clarify that the, those events, there was, a, there was an attempt of suicide at my school. Oh, okay. So that's the one that I personally witnessed and that, you know, that, that person lived, but in that, there were, there were several attempts and, you know, there were several, several, um, six, I wouldn't say successions because I wouldn't want to say that suicide. There were several completions as well as attempts that year that happened elsewhere. But the one that I closely was closely related to was the one that I, I witnessed the aftermath of one at my school. So that experience was walking into a classroom, a learning space, seeing all my all my peers crowded out on this balcony, walking out there seeing like what's going on. And then, you know, seeing an ambulance, a police car and just just the aftermath of of 
of someone trying to take their life. And that, you know, that really hit hard for a lot for me and for a lot of people in that class. You know, it was a lot of people's first experience truly witnessing and, and having this idea of suicide being actualized for a lot of people. You know, like this is something that's real. It's not something that's just talked about that happens once in a while. No, this is something that's legit. And I would say that there was some discussion. There was a little bit of a discussion amongst, you know, I, I think this kind of started and ignited this change a little bit. You know, people started recognizing, yeah, like, wow, we're hard on ourselves. But I feel like this conversation would kind of last in a short period of time and things kind of went back to normal. So there were a few changes, but nothing really permanent. And that personally kind of bothered me as an individual, especially as an advocate that was present for that aftermath, because that aftermath was a result of a person. You know, it wasn't like, oh, an object fell off this art building. No, it was a person. You know, it was so difficult for me to just kind of sweep this whole event under the carpet and just keep moving forward. So I think that there was a little bit of a connection from this event, but I don't think it was enough to really inspire a permanent change. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Marissa, what did you learn from this project? You mentioned having children and it inspired you to get involved, but what did you learn either about Mackenzie and her journey or anything that you personally are taking with you from this? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I thought as a parent that I actually really was aware of my kids and what they were going through. And I recognized that, you know, my quality time, you know, was, was oftentimes driving them to a soccer game or, you know, listening to my, my son's a, mu a musician. So listening to something and saying, oh, wow, that sounds great. And that's not really quality time, right? Like it's like driving to the soccer game and thinking that that 30 minutes in the car is, oh, well, I have time for my kids is just not enough. And so through this entire process and talking to so many kids is like how much we as parents need to really dedicate time to the well-being of our kids and listen to where they want to go, what they want to do, where their passions are, where their meaning is. And we're also developing um, an adaptation of the of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. And a big component of this overall film is the importance of purpose and meaning in our lives. And I would say through this is really working with my kids to lean into where they where where their real interests are, where their real passions are, and to develop them and lean into them and trust them. And um, and so for me, it was more about like, how can I become a better parent? How can I become a better champion for not only my kids, but their their peers and Mackenzie, you know, and, and being a part of Mackenzie's story and leaning into very much that to be to be a champion for these kids and to give them a voice and to start talking to other parents and community leaders and teachers and and sparking this conversation we can be you know we can be passive advocates or we can be active advocates and um, and saying that you care about something is very different than doing something about it so I think a lot for me in this process is like yeah I can talk about this but how what am I going to actually do about it mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big thing for me. 
May yeah. I jump in really quick? Go so ahead. Piggyback off that. So for me, I think that highlighting my just my story is a little interesting because I am very lucky to have very supportive parents. You know, I've never felt pressure from my parents at all for academic success. You know, they wanted me to succeed. So they gave me the tools and the resources necessary to succeed. So I was very lucky to have that. Um, but I think that goes to show that even when you do have that support from your parents, the, these pressures from your system and these pressures from your culture for your schools, like those have such a great impact. So it's, it's not solely, the, the solution is to this problem isn't solely, doesn't solely stem from the parents, right? Um, for me, you know, I could always go up to my mom and be like, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you please check in on me? You know, I would recommend that to anyone if, you know, if you have, if you're available to do that. Um, I think that to really solve this problem, I think that our community needs to come together and better itself to support one another. Going back to what I said before, something that really helped me with my progression was growing my own compassion and empathy. So I think as a community, if we can do the same thing and think outwardly instead of inwardly, then a lot of people will be better off for it. Yeah. So just sorry for interrupting. I just no, no absolutely. I totally. That's great. You know, I, I, so when I grew up, um, my parents were great, um, but they weren't totally available. They worked a lot. And my grandparents on my dad's side were very involved in my upbringing and they were also incredible. But my grandfather was a successful lawyer. Uh, my grandmother was an educator. And so I received a lot of accomplishment based love from them. Mm -hmm. And so every time I would hang out with them and I was like, I was good at school. Um, so I would go and I would come home and I would bring in my grades and I'd say, oh, hey, look, I got this A and this and this. And so I got so much conditioning of like, you'll get love if you come home with the right grades. If you, but then I was good in high school, but then I got to college and I wanted to study abroad and travel. And I always wanted to have this like location. My dad was a lawyer, mom was a lawyer, grandpa was a lawyer. So everyone obviously wanted me to be a lawyer. Lawyer, exactly. So um, everyone's like, all right, well, are you prepared for the LSATs? What's your GPA? And I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to travel the world and maybe do something with languages. And I remember coming back from my studied abroad in Barcelona for a semester of college. And I had so much fun. Um, I failed one of my classes. I dropped one of my classes. So I had three classes that I took that semester and I was traveling a ton, having so much fun. And I got back to campus and I said, Grandma, you know, I think I'm going to switch from being this pre-law major to like romance languages. And she immediately was like, well, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> you know, like there's no money in that, even though there's 8 billion people who need to translate languages and there's just, there obviously is so much that can be done there. And um, yeah, I guess the question for either of you, um, I guess Mackenzie, you're, you're up here, is how can you speak to the people out there who like, there is a model of getting good grades, going to a large university, having that make sense for, I don't know, 10%, whatever percent of people, but how can we empower the rest who like Marissa, your child and my brother and all these other, and even me, like that it's okay to do something else. And we're not, our value and our love and our worthiness is not based on a grade, which most likely won't matter in 10 years anyway. Right. So I think I really resonate with those people, you know, the artists, the, the 
painters, the musicians. I have had a deep love for music a, a, for a long part of my life. And I originally wanted to include that in my career. Um, and, you know, the downside for this, with this competition in high school and, you know, the school system is that since we're battling for academic metrics, you know, that someone else has deemed important, that doesn't really apply to those more creative thinkers and those types of people. So how I know that this system can't be changed overnight. And I know that it's difficult to really kind of go against the grain and go against the flow. Um, but something that I had wished that I did to satisfy the musician and the artist in me was take more classes that really inspired me and interested me as, as an individual, instead of thinking, oh, okay, everyone else in my grade is taking this number of APs and they're taking these classes to, you know, not only meet the requirements, but also, you know, match everybody else's school schedule. So I have to do the same, you know, I wish I had gone against that. I wish that I had taken art history or I wish I had, you know, taken more deeper music classes, you know, like those, I gave in to that social pressure at that time and I wish that I hadn't. So my advice for those people that, you know, there, there, are, there are billions of jobs in this world that so many people don't know about. And everyone wants to go to the same 10 colleges and get the same 10 jobs and all this stuff. <laughs> but I think it's so important that we all focus on our self-discovery instead of this college rat race conveyor belt. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really difficult to go against the grain and to go against the flow. But I think as long as you are doing something that if you look at the class you're taking or you look at the activity you're doing and you really think and resonate, is this something that inspires me to continue every single day? Is this something that feeds my meaning and feeds my soul as an individual? If you think of that and look at what you're doing critically and that is something that applies, then you're doing something right. Yeah. I remember being in law school and my friend told me to read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which was all about having your own business. Like you said, Mackenzie, following your passion, doing something you love. And I had this big, heavy law textbook in one hand, and then I had four hour work week in the other. And, um, it was really hard for me to kind of like the whole system is just like pushing you. I remember there was this big law school job fair where you had right. to go. And basically people were evaluated on their worthiness based on what ranking it's not even, Oh my God, he's a lawyer. Oh my God, he has a great job. But it's like, if you're not at the top eight firms or 10, it's so arbitrary. Right. Um, and so I really appreciate you sharing that because I remember it was really hard for me to push against the grain and tell my family I wasn't going to take the bar exam uh, yeah. when they did that. So I don't know. Yeah, Marissa, what would you say to children out there? You know, you're a parent. Like, how can children go to their parents maybe and say, hey, this isn't what I want to do and kind of get on the same team about that? Because I remember sitting down with my grandma saying, I'm not going to take the bar exam. And she didn't like that very much. Yeah, I mean, I I was not in the box myself. Um, I didn't want to go to college. I was very much on a track to get into film. And I, and at the time, you know, my mother very much was like, you need to have a college degree. You must have that. And, um, and there's just this pressure. And I have not done that with well, my daughter's only 11, so I'm not really pushing her heavily into college yet, but with my son in particular, because he did not learn in the conventional way, 
I was not crazy about with him about like, you need to have AP classes, you need to take the SAT. He was on a different path and I knew that very early on. So I would say for kids and really more for parents, I can speak to the parents is listen to your kids. They're, they're smart, they're intuitive. They know what they want, allow them to have a voice, allow them to have a choice in what they want to do and where they want to go. It is not, a, life is not a one size fits all. We are beautifully eclectic and individuals with our own passions and our own, and our own ideas of what our life should look like, wants what we want it to look like. And so for me, anything that I could put out there is to just let your kids have a voice and have a choice and, and give them the opportunity to pave their own way, fall down, get bruised, encourage them to get back up and fend for themselves and fight for themselves. And, um, and as, as, as much as we can enable them and allow them to be an individual and to do it on their own terms, the better off they will be and the better off we will be as an overall culture. Mm -hmm. Right. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, something for me that I found really essential for me was weighing if the pressure was worth squeeze, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes for me, pressure and composition is good, you know, like pressure creates diamonds, right? So it's, pressure can be a good thing and competition can be a good thing. And that is something that I think definitely stems from the education system but it's not worth your mental wellness, right? So when I started bringing back choice and voice into my own life, the pressure I was feeling, you know, I started seeing an amazing transformation. So um, and regarding my own voice, you know, talking about how you're feeling, you know, it's, it's really important to end this struggle and this silence and it's difficult, but sharing your mental health struggles does so much, is so beneficial for everybody. Um, so, and then for choice, you know, taking in participated activities that, you know, bring you joy, even if it does take away from your grades or from your AP classes, um, just pursuing courses and pursuing activities that you find really resonate with you, I think is really essential. Yeah. So you mentioned McKinsey earlier, compassion and empathy, which I think are so critical for anyone going through life in general. And I'm curious how you were able to cultivate some of those practices and what being self-compassionate looks like, how to be compassionate for others. I think people just say, oh, I'm, I'm just not an empathetic person, <laughs> not realizing how much you can learn and build and develop those skills. So I'm curious for both of you, but why don't we start with you, Mackenzie, how you've been able to cultivate that, where people can go, maybe an example of what being compassionate or self-compassionate looks like. Right. Um, for me, an example of self-compassion is, like I said before, not being too, you know, being hard on myself to a point that I'm able to take something from experience, but not being overly critical that I'm con consistently beating myself up. For example, the, like the testing, right? I got five, I, I got out of 10, I got seven right and I got three wrong. Oh my God, I got a 70% on this quiz. I can't believe it. That's a C, that's awful, that's horrible. I, I'm not gonna be able to have a high GPA. I, and instead I have to take a deep breath and I have to realize, okay, I got seven right. That's great. I got three wrong. Let's look at those. Let's see what I got wrong. And let's truly deeply learn. So the next time this comes around, I'm prepared and I'm not 
you know, I'm learning something, I'm not memorizing. So self-compassion is also self-care. For me, if I was truly exhausted from the academics and the socials and the sports and all this stuff, something that I've, that's been beneficial for me is just taking a mental wellness day. You know, like it's, it's really, in, this, in, this, in the school system, it's not encouraged to take a day off. But, you know, I feel if you're allowed to take a day off for a, a, a physical illness, I think you're allowed to take a day off for some mental pressure. You know, it's so, you know, it, it's so socially acceptable to be like, hey, I sprained my wrist, but it's not as socially acceptable to be like, hey, like I'm going through a really hard time. Like I'm really struggling. I feel really anxious. So I think if you start allowing yourself that room to, that little bit of wiggle room to give yourself that break, that helps and it helps in balance. It's, it's, it's been so beneficial for me to just take a step back and take a break to reevaluate and, you know, get back to where I was. Um, so I think personally for me, I, I think I'm an empathic person. I don't think anyone isn't an empathic person. I think they truly have it deep inside them. So for me personally, I, I do feel greatly what others feel. And, um, I, I feel like this might sound like weird and stuff, but I feel like I'm able to pick up on other people's energies. And I think that other people's energies are so, so heavy when they're not okay. And something that I noticed is after I did some training and did some learning with Radius Children's Hospitals, you, you were able to, there's, there's these patterns and these, these characteristics of people that are dealing with anxiety and people that are dealing with depression and, you know, potentially leading to suicide. So it's really difficult to learn all these characteristics and tools for spotting these these things and then going back to my classroom and, and feeling that and seeing that all around me. So I think feeling those feeling that heaviness and then also, oh my God, I'm gonna like cry. <laughs> um you wouldn't be the first on the Brendan Burn show to shed some tears. Um yeah. me, I've done it on my own show. <laughs> yeah. Um Um, feeling that energy around me and seeing the pain that a lot of my classmates were going through, but also losing a really good friend that was so compassionate and so, so empathetic to others. You know, she really devoted all of her young life to taking care of her wheelchair-bound mom, you know, and she was she really, um, oh my goodness, <laughs> you can't even like hear what I'm saying. It's like I'm mumbled. Um, she really devoted her life to sharing her passions of like music and devotion. And, you know, when she was killed, I went to her memorial. And one of the biggest takeaways from her memorial was that even though she had lived on this earth for such a short period of time, she left such a lasting legacy through her meaning and her empathy and her compassion. So that as an empathic person really inspired me to follow in her footsteps. And, you know, she had an amazing gift of making people feel like they mattered and that they were acknowledged. So like I said before, the sheer power of a and positive impact of a simple smile or a shoulder to lean on, that, that, that power that I could have on another, on another individual is so great. And, you know, 
this is such a developmental time in our lives. No one should be going through this alone. You know, so I think if as a community, we can help foster this compassion and empathy for one another, that can also lead to building this grit and resilience in each individual. So I think it's really important to realize that not everyone's journey has to be solitary, you know, and isolated. And it is so important to have the skills to seek and provide assistance for everyone around you. So yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I think like, you know, we, we are living in such a fast paced world right now. And, you know, there's a lot of disconnectivity as well. We, we're tied to our computers, we're tied to our phones, we're, you know, we're, we're on this grind and there's not a lot of room for like authentic connection. And in that authentic connection is where you can find that empathy for the person that's standing right next to you that could be really suffering and doesn't know how to connect. He doesn't know how to reach out, doesn't, is, has a fear around being vulnerable. And, you know, it's our, you know, it's our human duty to, to be open, to, to create that pathway for human connection and an authentic connection, not a text, but like be present, be physically present and emotionally present to the person that's in the room with you. And what I found, at least in the schools, you know, there is this like, there's this attempt to create an environment that has, you know, mental health day and all and the pamphlets are everywhere. But is that really like that's that may be meaningful or is it like is it truly an authentic reach out from our schools and from our teachers and from our community to really have an encouraging um, drive around authentic connection? And a pamphlet isn't going to do it. It's how, what are the steps that we can take to really create a safe environment for kids to be vulnerable and to share their voices and to, 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 you know, destigmatize, you know, mental health, mental health, there's mental wellness is one of the most vital components that we can have a, as a culture. Um, so Mackenzie, I'm with you in terms yeah. of creating that, you know, that empathy and connectivity from human to human and yeah. starting at a young age because if we build it at a young age it's the tools it's all these little things that we have in our toolbox that we then take into our adult lives for yeah. sure I, go ahead Mackenzie sorry this I just wanted to jump in really quick um at my school there, there's this amazing event that I think has definitely helped me build my compassion and empathy for others um it's community day or wellness day so it's kind of this whole day where you miss your classes and you're put in the gym together and you you do bonding activities that really truly allow you to connect with your peers around you and you know you really it really shows you that you're not alone it's really fun actually there's there's this there's this awesome game that i think is great and everyone should look into it's called we're not really strangers i don't know if you've heard of it but you, it's it's kind of you know it's kind of like apples to apples I guess where you get this prompt and the whole group kind of shares in it and you have like these stages it gets deeper and deeper and I think if we kind of you know that, that, that's a simple like party game you know and it, that, that is such a great tool for connecting with one another and building your compassion and really realizing that you're not alone this isn't personal to everybody like this is this isn't an individual journey that you have to go on by yourself so I definitely think that, you know, having these opportunities to bond with other people and really realize that you're not alone is really important. 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing that Mackenzie. One of the, I, I talk a lot about addiction recovery on this show and, and I've coached people through that and I've shared my own journey there. And one of the quotes that I love is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The op opposite of addiction is connection for so many reasons like that's how you can get off drugs that's how you can feel connected and even with anxiety it's like sometimes i have all this anxiety in my life and then i go see that other people also have that and it's not like oh i feel better because they're suffering too but it's like i feel better because this is seems more normal and i'm not the only one right for so sure i, I appreciate Absolutely. you guys sharing that um as we wrap up here um I'm going to ask you guys where obviously people can see the series and, and watch this, but first um, I'll give you both the opportunity to sh just share like a closing thought or, or piece of advice that you would want to leave the listeners with um, based on your experience, Mackenzie, what you've been through, you could encourage people with one final comment and then Marissa being involved in this journey, um, what you would want to share with the audience. Yeah. Um, so kind of in closing, Something that really impacted me was this Viktor Frankl quote. Um, it, it goes like this, it's um, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And, you know, with suicide being the second leading cause of death in this age group, I, I implore and, and I hope each individual take the time to find your why, you know, take the time to develop your individuality and fill your developmental years with the opportunity to explore. So I think it is essential that we lift each other up and support individual journey and allow yourself to discover and pursue your interests. You know, it, I think if you do this, then when you do graduate, when you do get your diploma and you stride into your future, whatever that may be, you know, whether that may be college or something else or, or going just however you are striding into your future. I think if you do this during this developmental stage, I think you will graduate with the best education of all. So like education on your meaning and your purpose. So that's my, that's my closing. That's beautiful. Thank you, Mackenzie. Marissa. I love that quote as well. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, for me, I would say, I would encourage everybody to slow down for a minute and spend real quality time with your kids, with your friends, with your family, shut everything off, put your phones away and just have a moment to just be together and um, be present and listen and, um, and let our kids be themselves, let them be their individual, beautiful, authentic, incredible selves and to encourage them to always follow their passions. Yeah, I was, I was just talking with a friend of mine who used to work uh, at a company and he was basically chief of staff for like the, the CEO who was worth a hundred or multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And the guy had uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, addiction, pretty bad drinking, alcoholism. And I just said to my friend one time, I was like, what, what made this guy happy? He had so many, he had multiple yachts, but he still seemed to be really unhappy. And he said, um, you know, he was really happy when he was talking about his dad or spending time with his dad. And I just said, all right, I'm not working another minute today. I'm going to go and do something like that. And I'm not against money. Like I share strategies. Like if we don't have any money, that's super stressful too. But I think people like 
we were talking about earlier, Mackenzie, we, we just try to hoard the money or try to hoard the achievements because then we think we'll be happy versus right. pursuing things that really make us fulfilled on the inside. Something to throw out there for Victor, bringing back Victor Frankl oh, yeah. is, you know, the end goal should not be happiness. The end goal should be meaning. Mm-hmm. And so if you have your meaning, your purpose for being here, and it, is it of serving others? That's a huge component of it, being taking yourself outside of yourself and how to self, you know, self-satisfy and self-gratify is to what can we do for others? How can we be an advocate for them? How can we be a support to them? And finding that sense of purpose and meaning and in things outside of ourselves is is a beautiful beginning to finding that meaning and purpose. Yeah, that's well said, Marissa. So the million dollar question, where can people see this, learn more and uh, the fruits of all your labors? Um, Well, it is on our newly launched YouTube channel. Um, which you can find easier to find it this way, which is to go to our social media um, pages uh, on Instagram. It's at Straight Up Impact. And the link in our bio is the link to the YouTube channel. We're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter at, I think it's Impact Straight on Twitter. And then you can also find us on our individual social media pages. Um, I'm at Marisa Palvino. Um, Mackenzie, you can share yours. And then my partner, Kate Cohen, is at Kate Cohen. Davis on Instagram and Mackenzie will share hers. And we're here, like we are looking for stories. We, we want to give people a voice. So please reach out, please follow us. Please, we have more films coming up. The next one is taking on the pharmaceutical industry and the overprescribing of drugs to young kids. And then we're taking on social media. Um, so Mackenzie, where can I find you? Um, my social media is Kenzie with an extra E, so K-E-N-Z-I-E-E Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N. Um, that's my Instagram handle. Um, I'm also thinking about starting my own podcast, actually, um, called More of Yourself. And that's kind of a project that's going down the line, kind of highlighting other people's meaning and their progression for how they found it and advice that they give to other individuals that are like them. So, Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. So it's straight up impact on Instagram and the link in bio there has their YouTube channel for the straight up impact YouTube channel. Kenzie Larson with two E's is where you can find them. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been amazing. Thanks so much. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brendan Burns show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.